Okay, so with Acts 11, those verses open in front of you. Thanks so much, Colin and Ellen, for reading them. Here's a thing that until last week I didn't know was a thing. People leaving Google reviews of this church online. Intrigued? Want to see three of them? You want to see three of them, don't you? Right, someone going by the name E.W. wrote, nice interior architecture in a nice location. Okay, doctor, these people might be here today, I don't know. <laughs> you see, Dr. Whale Abdu said, we're a great venue for birthday parties. Give an amen to that one. Great venue for birthday parties. Local tour guide Chris Middleton said, we're a fantastic community hub. So you bring that together on Google, we're getting... 4.8 out of 5 stars currently. Yeah? Now I'm going to give our building team a few seconds to enjoy that. And then I'm going to burst their bubble and say, that's not really what we're interested in. To nick a line from the rhyme, you might remember if you were from when you were little, we're not interested in the church, not really all that interested in the steeple, but what we're really interested in is what people would see when they look inside and see all the people. Here's a question we're going to be challenged with today. Would our community call us Christians? Sound a strange question? Would our community call us Christians? Come with me to Acts chapter 11. I'll show you what I mean by that. If there was a lonely planet guide to the Roman Empire in the first century. Three most biggest, influential and biggest cities you would have, right? Number one, Rome. Number two, Alexandria. Number three, this place called Antioch. You'll find it in the map. It's kind of the, the top north one. What you see about Antioch is it is you're looking at something like half a million people. You see in the map, it's geographically a cracking location to be, isn't it? You can kind of go round the corner, you can go down, you can go into Asia. It's a good, big city. People even from China there, right? All sorts of different people, Jews, Greeks, Romans, Persians, Indians, people from far away as China. And the locals, and I think they're called Antiochians, I think that is the thing, okay? Apparently, they are famous for loving a joke, right? Loving a bit of banter. They love nothing more, and this is what historians around the time will say, nothing more than to dish out a witty nickname. That's what you do when you're from Antioch. And here's why that's significant. Because when the local people in Antioch looked at these first disciples of Jesus, watching these people like dandelions in the sun just cropping up everywhere, out of nowhere. We, we just cannot predict where the next one is going to come from. Here is what they called these early disciples. Verse 26, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, if you're here today and you're wondering what is a Christian, you've, you've come here with all sorts of ideas in your mind, ideas I imagine from the media, ideas I'd imagine from your upbringing, perhaps what you've seen in the place that you live, perhaps from television, The Vicar of Dibley, what was that show on BBC a few years ago called Rev? All these kind of things are in your mind. You've picked a great Sunday to be with us because 
This is the origin of the name. Do you know what it means? Christian means literally many Jesus. So when the locals saw Jesus at work in the lives of these people, when they heard Jesus being proclaimed and praised from their lips, they laughed and they teased and they said, ha ha, you guys are just little Jesuses. You know the kind of thing, here comes the God squad. Look out, here come the Jesus freaks. Way oh, here are the Bible bashers. Here are the holy Joes. Okay? It's what people see in Antioch when they look at these early disciples. You guys are just little Jesuses. Now that's a nickname worth having, isn't it? So the name Christian in its original context is a nickname. And Luke lets us see in this passage, I think, what it was about the lives of these disciples in Antioch that caused the locals to say that. There's four of them. We're going to look at them in just a second. But before we get there, see what's going on in the book of Acts. Here's the question. How did the gospel, how did the news of Jesus even get to a place like Antioch on the map? Well, verse 19 in the text, if we get into it, It connects us back to the persecution that happened in Jerusalem, if you remember, in chapter 8. The early followers of Jesus, they were chased out of Jerusalem. And they ran to Judea and Samaria. Now, of course, they are being pushed out of their city. But what's going on, remember Alistair took us there a number of weeks ago, is that Jesus' plan for the spread of the gospel is happening. Man's worst plays into God's plans and his best. So Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. How is that going to happen? How are people going to go? In this case, it is persecution. It is driving out the people. It's fulfilling Jesus' plan. And here in verse 11 of chapter 11, verse 19 of chapter 11, here's what we learn about those people who went. They went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And like bees carrying pollen, and notice, by the way, that these aren't apostles. The apostles are the guys who are staying in Jerusalem. These are just ordinary believers, ordinary disciples of Jesus. They carry the message about Jesus wherever they go, like bees carrying pollen. And hey, presto, by God's grace, through the work of his Holy Spirit, Spiritual pollination happens everywhere they go. The gospel is going long. That's what Luke's telling us. The gospel is going long and the gospel is going deep. Because in Antioch, look at what happened at verse 21. The Lord's hand was at work. And just these are the descriptions of a historian who wants people down the line to know the details, right? So he's taking his time to tell us this. The Lord's hand was at work. And great numbers turned to the Lord. And he Luke tells us that again at verse 24, to bookend that wee bit, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So Luke wants us to know that what happened in Antioch was no drop in the ocean. What happened in Antioch was an unmissable act of God. Great number of people become Christians. And reports of this filter back from Antioch, filter back all the way down to Jerusalem. And verse 22, what they do is they send Barnabas from Jerusalem to go back to Antioch 
almost as their ambassador to go to Antioch and to see if what is happening is the real deal. And what happens is that Barnabas confirms what the people in Antioch are saying about the disciples, that yes, they are many Jesuses. Look at verse 23, when he sees his disciples going for it, what is he? He's glad. Right? I take it that's always one of the marks of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we see what God is doing somewhere else, and it makes us glad. It's not all about here, is it? Makes us glad when we see what God is doing elsewhere. These guys are Christians, says Barnabas. They've got it. It's real. God is at work. Last week we thought about the first Gentile Christians. Remember his name was Cornelius. If you want to listen back, you can on the website. If not, just read it in your own time. Cornelius, the first Gentile Christian. Now do you see what's going on? We've got the first Gentile church. Gospel's growing. It's going long. It's going deep. And here are the four reasons the people in Antioch called these people Christians. And as we look at these, remember the question we're asking ourselves, would our community call us Christians? So here is number one. What do they see about these guys? They see, first of all, that these people are worshipping somebody else. What did Barnabas see? Verse 23. He saw what the grace of God had done. Now just take in that phrase. It's not about these people that they've, they've turned over a new leaf. They've decided to be better. Decided to have a crack at this Christianity thing. No, 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 no. This is about God giving them new hearts as he, and like only he can do, as he breathes in life to spiritual dead bodies. He takes souls and he transfers them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that means that if you are a Christian, that is what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if you've had an amazing testimony. It doesn't matter if you've been brought up as a Christian, all of you. What is going on is a miracle that God has taken you from darkness and transferred you to light through the work of his son on the cross. It's what he's done. It's what's going on here in Antioch. The grace of God is at work, which is tremendously freeing because that means you and I did not get into God's good books because of our works. It means that we've been saved purely by his grace and his compassion and his love because he is that kind of God. What's going on in Antioch? There's new creations everywhere. You can imagine, right? Cosmopolitan city that prizes material prosperity and beauty thinks nothing of cutting someone down with a bit of wit. And you're living in a place all under the banner of Caesar is Lord. That's really who's worshipped here. Yes, we can do stuff under his, but that's the banner we're operating under. You can imagine if you're somebody who says, actually, no. There was a man who came back from the dead. And he's Lord of all. And he controls my tongue, my thoughts, and my wallet. You can imagine that that is your confession in a place like Antioch. You're going to stand out like a mile, stand out a mile, like a sore thumb. I loved it. It was down um, uh, Wee Cafe in Birdie House with Grace yesterday. Just opened it. It's a kind of 20 schemes thing where they're trying to get people back into work. They've opened this cafe in this community. And I loved it just on the door. Nailing, the mass, nailing their colours to the mass in the community, what they're all about. Jesus 
I'm the bread of life. There it is, bang. This is who we are. Loved it. These people are worshipping someone else. There's something else that makes them tick. There's someone else who they're all about. I guess the question I was asking myself this week is, do people in my life know what I'm all about? Do they know that I worship somebody else? Think about it. In your workplace, in your school, in your university, do people know? Your family, friends, do they know that these people are worshipping somebody else? That's what they're saying in Antioch. Secondly, these people, they think they're heading somewhere else. And here's your boy Barnabas. Right? You might remember Luke introduced us to him at the end of chapter 4. His name's not Barnabas. That's the interesting thing about Barnabas. His name's not Barnabas. His name is Joseph. Barnabas, if you remember, is his nickname. It means son of encouragement. So the believers see this guy doing his thing, and they say the defining feature of your life is that you're an encourager. Love that. You've had a hard day. Barnabas is the guy you want to call. You've, your life's rocking all over the place. You don't know if you're going to make it tomorrow. He's the guy that you want to turn up at the door. Barnabas is an encourager. And I think that's why they send him to this church in Antioch. Tough place to be a Christian. Who are we going to send? We're going to send the encourager. Luke gives us a wee description of him again at verse 24. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And boys are using those gifts in Antioch. And we're not just told about him, we're told what he's saying. What he's saying, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's what he's saying. That's his message to the disciples. You want to boil it down? It just means keep on going. Remain true to the Lord. Keep on persevering. Right, I was thinking about it this, this week. This is like Dory from Finding Nemo. Do you remember her phrase? What's her phrase? Keep on swimming. Just keep on swimming. Just keep on swimming. That's all she says. Just keep on swimming. Keep on going. And that's Barnabas. He says, just keep on going. Just keep on going. I know it's tough. Just keep on going. Life following Jesus tough. Finding life exhausting as a parent, wondering if you can keep on going. The ups and downs of your health making you anxious about the future. The death of a loved one left a huge hole in your heart. The uncertainty about what tomorrow looks like, let alone plans coming together for next year. Is it crippling you? All meaning that you might be here physically today, but spiritually inside you are struggling. Barnabas is the kind of person who draws alongside and he brings people back. And I take it this morning. I think all of us need that. To draw alongside and to say, I know life's tough, but let's keep on going. Let's keep on going. Where does Barnabas bring them back to? He brings them back to the Lord. Love this guy. Do you imagine him doing his thing in the church? I'm all ears. I love you. Tell me what's going on in your life. I want to listen. And that sounds brutal. Oh, isn't life just so complicated and hard sometimes? But here's what you and I need. Just look at Jesus. Would you look at him? Would you remember who he is? Remember what he's done? Would you remember what he's doing? The right hand of God, he's praying for us. 
you remember what he said was going to happen? Do you remember how he said it? he wouldn't leave us as orphans, he would come back? Do you remember how he said that? Do you remember how the Bible is the story of the God who is faithful to keeping his promises? Not one of God's good plans will ever fail. Do you remember that? Do you remember how Jesus said that heaven's ahead of us? Do you remember how he said in the words of the old hymn, he will hold us fast. He will hold us fast. When I fear my, my faith will fail, he will hold us fast. Barnabas draws alongside and he just says, let's just keep on going. Let's just keep on going. You know about the Sally Lloyd-Jones thoughts to make your heart sing. We do it with the kids sometimes. She's got a wonderful way of just phrasing it at the end. It's, it's, there's three travelers just going on. And the one at the front says to the guys at the back, listen, talking of Jesus, he's already gone ahead of us into the new day. He knows the way. He knows what will happen. He is all we need. Let's keep on walking. It's another Christian life sometimes. Day after day after day, just plodding, slogging it out in the paths of faithfulness, living by faith, not in today, but living by faith in what God has said is true about the future and the heavenly city which is ahead of us. Do we need, some of us need some of that today? Do we need to draw alongside one another and do what Barnabas and Sewer is doing in Antioch? Life's tough, I get it, I know. Oh, it's hard. But Jesus... I just Barnabas kind of guy who would make a really good friend. Imagine that in Antioch, you're just people looking at you. Life is incredibly tough for them, but somehow they're just keeping on going with Jesus. It's people they think they're heading somewhere else. Number three, these people they're devoted to learning something else. See, Barnabas, verse 25, and again, I love this in the text. He goes to Tarsus. See, if you remember our map, it was just around the corner. He goes to Tarsus because he knows that that's where Paul is. Now, Paul's there because the disciples had smuggled him out of Jerusalem and, and sent him to Tarsus on a, on a boat when the Jews made an attempt of his life. That's back in chapter 9. And Barnabas gets there and thinks, no, no, I'm not the guy for this job. I need Paul. And I love the humility that Barnabas shows here because this is, this is a chance for Barnabas to put his name on the map. Right? Who wouldn't want to be part of the first Gentile church to be the guy that God used to go and say, Hey, I played a part in this, right? Established Barnabas International Ministries. You know, get all this kind of stuff out. But Barnabas knows the guy who Jesus said was going to be the minister of his to the Gentiles was Paul. And Barnabas says, you know what? No, Jesus said it was him. And he goes to get him and he brings him back and the two of them do it together. And the two of them get involved in the lives of the people in Antioch, get involved in what's going on and they teach. So what they do is the word in the text of Luke tells us they teach they teach these young believers. They, 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 they get them in their Bibles to see who Jesus is. Come and see, come and learn what he's done, why it matters, what it is to be a child of God, what it means to live the Christian life, what happens after death, the whole shebang, what Paul would call later the whole counsel of God. And you see how they do it, not just for a one-off course, they do it, verse 26, for a whole year. Just nurturing these young believers in the ways of the Christian faith. 
It's why in our meetings that the Bible is central. It's why we do Bible studies during the week in our small groups. It's why we do one-to-ones reading the Bible together because this is what we need. The gospel, to quote Tim Keller, is not the ABC of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. We never graduate from this. These guys have a heart for nurturing the young believers in the fundamentals of the faith. You know, my dad sent me a picture on family WhatsApp group. I'm sure you've got them. He did it, um, I think it was November. Do you know I get so confused about what storm was what? He just sent me a picture. I'm pretty sure it was Storm, storm Arwen. Is that the one? Storm Arwen? He sends me a picture of a, of a huge tree in the garden that's come down. And what's happened, it's come down, but all you see is just roots. In the picture, just roots. These roots that have just been nourishing this tree for years and years and years. These roots, there seems to be hundreds of them. These roots, there's not just tons of them. There's meters and meters of these roots. And what's happened is he's been brave. He's gone online. He's bought a chainsaw to try and free the tree. And he's cut a few things off to loosen it. And all of a sudden, bam, the tree's gone back. The roots have brought it back. And he flings the chainsaw and he, he jumps out over the other side. The roots are so down in it. It's true, isn't it? What we want for our lives, the roots of our lives to be deep in the words. To be deep in the words. And is it not true that storms reveal in our lives, storms reveal where our roots really are? All right, I remember one of the first hospital visits I ever did in this church was to go and see a lady called Ruby. Uh, Ruby was, um, she was dying of cancer down at the Western. Some of you will know her, remember her. Some of you, you won't. But just what a wonderful godly lady. I remember going to see her. She's sitting there. She is a shadow of her former self. As she just said, I'm scared. And I loved her honesty. She just said, I'm scared. I'm scared. Refreshing about how she was feeling. But she said something else. She just said, but I know Christ has me. And that's roots. They taught them for a year. These guys, they're learning something else. It comes out in the storms of their life. The, the people in Antioch looking and saying, they're learning something else. Something else is making them tick. Roots down in the words. And fourthly, these people, they're up for helping someone else. And I love this. Verse 27. This man, this prophet called Agabus and Remember, I think we're to understand that these are unique things that happened in this time. God tells him about a severe famine that's going to hit the Roman world. And historians back up the authenticity of this. And the response of the believers is to hear this, see what it is. Right? We, we hear of a recession. We hear of financial troubles that might be coming. What's our first thought as a culture? It's make sure that we've got enough. Make sure that you have enough in the pension pot. Make sure that you have enough in your savings account. Make sure that you've got the toilet roll when it's about to go. Make sure you've got the milk before everyone else buys it. That's not these guys' first reaction. It's not to look after number one. They think of their poorer brothers and sisters who are back in Jerusalem for whom this is going to hit them really, really hard. That's their first thought. We see on a personal level we can work that out. Is there someone in our church family here who's going through a hard time, maybe financially? Maybe we've got a duty to help. 
as a church family. We want to be the kind of church family who's who's looking out for one another and wider as well. I, I've been added to a WhatsApp group that's been set up by a ton of churches down south and up here as well, just thinking about how we can support our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Prayer updates coming in, different pictures being sent. How can we support our brothers and sisters over there? Not just in Ukraine, but the surrounding countries as well who are taking refugees. And I take it that should be our heart to want to help our brothers and sisters. We'll think about ways potentially that we could do that, I'm sure. But there's something bigger going on I think we need to see here. And this is, this is where we need to see this is more than just an office whip round for a good cause. This is Gentiles wanting to care for their Jewish brothers and sisters because their common faith in Jesus has connected them. And they've decided to do this. Notice that word in the text. That It's not just something they feel obliged to do. They want to do this. It's a choice. It's a gut conviction because they realize that they have got a Christ-shaped duty to look after their fellow brothers and sisters. And again, do you see how the gospel Luke is showing us is smashing down worldly barriers? You guys are just little Jesuses. You're little Jesuses. And so here's the question then. Would our community call us Christians? By that definition, let me flip it around. Are we giving our community, and you can broaden that out, our neighbours, our work colleagues, whatever it is you want, are we giving our community cause to call us Christians? And here's where I'm reminded, just as we close, of my friend Thomas. Right, Thomas was one of my best friends growing up. And we were kind of students at roughly the same time. I was up in Aberdeen, he was down in Edinburgh. And what we used to do, like most students do, is during the summer in particular, get get work. So I used to work at banks, Thomas used to work at bars. One of the bars he used to work at in the summer was Edinburgh University TV at Bar. That's where he used to work. And he used to work there during August, during the Edinburgh Festival. Now, that is a tough environment to be a Christian in. With every angle you look at that from, long hours, that kind of work, temptation everywhere. But the people in his team watched Thomas, and they watched what he didn't do, how he didn't join in going big on the booze, he didn't join in the crude chat, and they watched what he did do, how he spoke about Jesus, how he was just a good guy to work with. And at the end of the whole summer of working together, his non-Christian supervisor, who I found out this week from him, was called Lucy, posted a picture on Facebook, and I spent hours trying to find it this week, and I couldn't. Picture on Facebook, best Christian I've ever met. Now that's a Google review worth having, isn't it? And what I loved about the story, I texted Thomas this week, said, do you remember that photo? He said, I remember that photo. It was back in 2009. And he said, I remember it because... Lucy, she lives in a totally different part of the world now. She's doing something completely different. But every now and then I hear from her. Life's going really hard, Thomas. Would you pray for me? I just need someone to chat to, Thomas. Have you got 10 minutes to speak on the phone? Would you like to FaceTime or Zoom? Christian. Let's just never underestimate the power of just a simple witness to the grace of Jesus. And let that encourage you this morning. If you're in a place and you're just finding it hard to witness for him, 
to just keep on going. Never underestimate what God can do through the simple witness of a Christian. Would the people in our community call us Christians? Because the disciples were first called Christians here at Antioch. Let's pray, shall we? And so, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning and thank you for the the challenge that this has brought us, the challenge to be witnesses for you in our community. Father, thank you for the comfort that these verses have brought today. That if our faith is in you, if we believe in the Lord Jesus, that is not because we've decided uh, to, to, to make a decision. That is because, first and foremost, you are a God who is gracious and good, and the grace of God has been at work in our lives. And we thank you for the new life that is found in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for us to, um, today, particularly as we come now to remember your son Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, as we take the bread and the wine together, Father, would you be moving in our midst, bringing that sense of knowledge of who he is. And so, Father, I pray that you would just be with us as we do that now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.